0: Uh, talked and found out a lot of things uh, through Brother John uh, Fry on how things are supposed to work with the uh, system in the back and lo and behold everything that I was told is not working on our machine So, we've been back there once again struggling to see if we can come up with an answer. And the Lord's willing, we will come up with an answer before too long. All right, we're going to take our Bibles. We're going to go to Revelation chapter 1 this morning. And uh, we're going to get everything recorded as soon as we can. And uh, try to get everything back in order. You know, I look at it this way. Sometimes what we study, you know, God protects us from the criticisms of the world. And so the uh, criticisms of the world are not going to make the impact that are upon us now. In the very back, we have the um, the seven churches that we have been studying about. And and again, I realize we have quite a few that are uh, not here today. Let me just say this to everyone that's here. Uh, first of all, be in prayer for Greg and Carla. Uh, they uh, took some much needed rest as well as... Um, Uh, traveled over to Washington, D.C. to uh, be with her daughter, Kendra, and the family. Um, I think they actually go over there to see Addie more than anything else, and uh, that's beautiful as well. So, little story there. I'm kind of dog-setting for the, uh, you know, and house-setting as well. And uh, last night, Dort, because we've had that full moon that's been out, Dort decides she can see everything out there, and she starts barking. And so... um, Dorty and I had a a come-to-Jesus moment last night, and, uh, you know, as I said, Dort, there's no one out there. And I'm looking, I'm peering, I can't see a thing, so whatever shadows she saw, she saw as well. But we also uh, received a message from Brother Randy. Uh, He has surgery tomorrow. We want to be in prayer for Brother Randy and Sister Brenda. She's going to be uh, there with him. And uh, any word of encouragement, a little card, anything of this nature will be a great blessing as well. So be with, uh, be in prayer for Brother Randy. Uh, also, those that will be traveling in today, I pray the Lord will just bless our time together. All right. So with that being said, we're going to be looking at the uh, seven churches of Asia Minor. And Brother Joe, I'll get you, uh, when you get a chance, to pull up that slide uh, in eschatology, the one that we have there for the uh, seven churches. So we're going to go back to verse 11 of uh, Revelation chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at the seven churches that are mentioned there, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, unto Pergamum, unto Thyatira, unto Sardis, unto Philadelphia, and under Laodicea. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Again, Father, we want to thank you for your blessings, and I ask you to help us today to uh, not only study the Word, but also to notice that you have given us the things which we need and are in need of today. So bless our time of study, continue to bless and direct, and we will give you the praise for all things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to be looking at one word in particular, so Brother Joe, I'm going to have you go uh, on to the very next slide, and the very next slide that we're going to take a look at goes into what we are now going to be calling disp- dispensation periods. Now, the one thing that we got to look at, dispensation does not mean that it is equal divisions. If you go back in and you study, well, I'll give you an example. Let's take our Bibles. Let's go to uh, the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter one. I want to show you one area where we automatically see dispensation as it is revealed to us in the Scripture, Revelation, uh, Matthew. Excuse me, chapter one. Let me get over there. I was in Habakkuk, and uh, let's go down, if you will, uh, to verse uh, seventeen. Matthew chapter 1, verse 17, and notice what it says. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David to the carrying away of Babylon are 14 generations. And from the carrying away unto Babylon, unto Christ, 14 generations. Now, in the biblical time, the generational period was 40 years, and it still is. So when we talk about every 40 years that there's a generational pattern, notice that from Abraham to David there was again 560 years that was brought in, or 14 generations, and then again from the time of David until the carrying away into Babylon was another 560 years, or 400 generations, or 400 uh, 40 years, which was 14 generations making it 560 years there, I'll get it out. And then again, notice from Babylon till the birth of Christ, another 560 years. So if we take all of those together, we can see the about the 600 and odd years that are going to be there, about 680 I think it is, uh, 1,680 years that are all going to be in combination. Now that doesn't have anything to do with the flood time if you go back in and you can see the order of things, and I'll show you what I'm speaking of, let's go back to the book of Genesis uh, chapter 5 and we can see another dispensational time that is written to us in scripture and uh, it begins in verse 6 of Genesis chapter chapter 5 we'll actually go back to verse 3 and it says, and Adam lived a hundred and thirty years now, let me just point this out to you The time frame of the generational periods that we see in the book of Genesis, we'll get into this a little bit later today as we talk about marriage, it did not begin with Abel. We don't know exactly when Abel was born, all we know is is that uh, Adam knew Cain or knew uh, Eve and she gave birth to uh, Cain, then he knew her again and she gave birth to Abel we're not given the time frame in which he was born which either one of those boys were born but what we do know is that according to God's measure and God's plan at 130 years Seth was born and from that time of Seth we now begin to take the measure of generational years so notice every 100 plus years Equates a generation as we see it in the book of Genesis. Go on down. And it says uh, in verse 6, And Seth lived 105 years, and he begat Enos. Let's go on down to verse 9. And Enos lived 90 years, and begat Canaan. Let's go on down. In verse 12, And Canaan lived 70 years, and begat Mahalil. Well Let's go on down. Verse 15, And Mahaliel lived 65 years, and begat Jared. See the time frame shortening? So each one of those is a representation of a generational change. And so basically at 2160, we can actually see the uh, generational period has made its change. So why is it that I hold so much to what we see here in the book of uh, Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3? Why am I holding on to this idea of a dispensational period. Well, it makes sense. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Uh, if we go to Revelation chapter 2, and and we're going to go down uh, to verse 8. And it says, And the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things hith the first and the last which was dead, and is alive. I know thy works, and tribulation, and poverty, but thou art rich, and know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews, and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of these things which thou hast suffered. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. It is obvious that this is the first persecutional period that we really know of, and that you may be tried and have tribulation ten days. Is that ten days, or is that ten periods? We're going to get into that a little bit later on as we make our studies. Be thou faithful unto death, and and you will receive a crown of life. The reality is is that there were 10 Caesars that were really terrible on Christianity. They literally rose up, they made all kinds of accusations, and they made it very difficult. So the thing I want you to see with the seven dispensational periods, these are the seven churches. So if I wanted to, I could put at number one, I could put Ephesus. I could put number two, Smyrna, and write on down the line. The reality is, is this was the representation of their time frame, and we'll see what we see out of them. So the active period, the Ephesus church. Remember that the church at Ephesus was a very strong church. It was a very capable church. The letter to the uh, church at Ephesus from the Apostle Paul was encouraging them. It was lifting them up for the good work that they were doing. And so all of these things are there for us to see. However, we also saw that they began to move away from their first love. So the active period represents from the time of Jesus Christ's ascension into heaven. And notice this says 30 A.D. Now, once again, this is all in regards to when the Lord was born. And so the Lord was born what we now know as the common era or as an antiodomino, which was uh, probably five years before the Common Era had started. And so, literally, the active period would have been 30 to 130 A.D. After that, we had the persecution period. And the persecution period is 100 to 313 A.D. So, there was a lot of persecution that occurred. In fact, uh, I want to be very careful, because I could drag my feet on a lot of this, mainly because... Uh, not only are we studying eschatology, but we've got to, we'll dive into a little bit of history. And when we get into the historical aspects of these churches, we find, again, the purpose of this persecutional period. In fact, may I point this out to you, the compromise period and the persecution period overlap each other perfectly. Uh, I'll give you an example. In 325 A.D., Constantine, How many? have you ever heard of Constantine, the great emperor Constantine? Uh, he was looking for a way to defeat uh, his enemies at Milan Bridge. And so in order to get the people to uh, come to him and to recognize his power and ability, he said he saw a symbol in the heavens, and that was a flaming cross. And in it, of course, in Latin, the, the statement is, by this sign conquer. And so overnight, He had every one of the men put on their shields the cross with the flame of fire. As a matter of fact, that symbol is still being used. If you ever go to some of the Lutheran churches, some of the Methodist churches, some of the Wesleyans, you will see the cross and you will see a a burning flame that circles around and comes back out of that cross. That came from that period called the Compromise Period. And so one of the things that Constantine stated is that if we win this great battle then I, too, will become a Christian. And so Constantine went into battle, and when he came out of that battle, he literally um, said, everybody is now a Christian. Christianity doesn't work that way, but he was now imposing Christianity in that way. Number four is the rise of Catholicism. And uh, if you'll notice, it's a long period of time, but the reality is, is that we could say that that's still going on today. The main reason is, is Catholicism has was over for a thousand years, it had this strong influence. So when we had the uh, the sprinkling that came into place, when we had uh, other areas of the wickedness that Catholicism engaged, all that happened in that in that middle period, what we call the rise of Catholicism, uh, mariolatry began into place. I don't know if you've heard the latest, but now... Uh, the Roman Catholic Pope has now declared that uh, Mary is um, also deity. This goes in the line with what we call uh, Semiramis Tammuz, the Queen of Heaven, and so on and so forth. Uh, There was also what we call the indulgences period to where you could literally pay to, to sin and go out and commit any kind of lewdness that you wanted to and already have paid for your forgiveness during that indulgement period. They also had what they called the relic period. And then during the relic period, you couldn't have a church building unless you bought a authorized relic from the Roman Catholic Church through the Pope. And quite literally, there were billions of dollars that were raised uh, because they said, oh, this little piece of wood came from the cross of uh, Jesus Christ. No proof of that. It was just a piece of old wood. Oh, these, this metal, these, these three uh, nails, uh, these were the nails that held Jesus Christ to, uh, to the tree or to the cross. I mean, relic worship is huge, even to this day. And if you ever go to Germany, you will actually see that there were, there were several temples that were built based on re- the uh, relic worship. 1517 to 1700 was the rise of Reformation. Uh, Some people want to say that this began with uh, John Huss. Others want to say that it was uh, Martin Luther that began to occur. We're going to be reading about this as we go in. Followed by the uh, Living and the Revival Period. This includes America. And let me just say this to you. One of the things that we've got to look at, especially as we study this period of Living and Revival Period, there was a great amount of unleashing. Uh, anyone ever heard of uh, of Hudson Hudson Taylor, or uh, some of the other early ministers that uh, had come out of America? At one time, America was the great mission field, and they said America came on her own when she began to send missionaries out to other foreign places. Now, do not mistake what's going on today for mission works. I talked to one young lady uh, not too long ago. She goes, my mom and dad were missionaries uh, to some South American country. And she said, we begged and pleaded for, you know, a TV set or an automobile or things like that. And uh, we were being led to believe that there was no money whatsoever to be able to help missions. She said, we would come back to our home church and they had big screen TVs, a big stage, uh, you know, had entertainment, things like that. And she went, something's not right. When we can have all of this down in the uh, South American countries and we're struggling to get people to come and yet here we come to America and people are coming to these congregations because of the entertainment. And so please do not look at the living in the revival period around that. Finally, and we would actually say that's more like the worldly influence. The worldly influence is from the 1900s on. I'll give you an example. During the 19 uh, around the 1900 era, there was this mentality that we're going to get better and better and better. Man, you don't have to worry about it. We're we're now reaching unto heavenly places, and so no matter how you looked at it, they ignored what the Word of God said when it said that we shall see sin and it will wax worse and worse. Instead of looking at it from that point of view, they said, no, we're getting better and better. And they literally stated that that was misprinted, that was misquoted. The problem was World War One. You see, everyone that held to this position, they called it a post-millennial position. In other words, they were already saying we were living in the, uh, the, the time of the kingdom. We were already living in that kingdom, kingdom period. Well, that sounds well enough, uh, well enough good, but it had nothing to do with it. When World War I came out, they saw such evil that they had never imagined. They couldn't believe that there would be a world war. And so they, those that held on to the, uh, pre, uh, the the post-millennial position, they began to scratch their heads and going, well, this doesn't make any sense. We thought we were going to get better and better and better. That gave birth to all millennialism, which means, uh, you know, we're still going to get better and better and better, but we, we don't know what caused all this hiccup. What finally led to the nail put in the coffin was World War II. And do you realize, since World War II, there's never been a time upon this earth that there hasn't been some sort of war. And not only that, consider the United States of America. Name a period of time where we've not faced war ourselves. Just something to think about. And so the worldly influence that we see is, you know, the Laodicean period where there is a lukewarmness. In some churches, they actually preach the gospel. In other churches, they don't preach the gospel. And it really is a mess. And so we want to make sure that we have an understanding brother Joe if you will back up to one slide and I want to show you something that's very interesting let's go back uh, to verse 12 and uh, we're going to look at uh, revelation 1:12 and notice that it says this and I turned to see the voice that spake unto me and me in turn I saw seven golden candlesticks now the seven golden candlesticks and I, the reason I wanted brother Joe to come back over here to this this image give one candlestick for every one of the churches that we see here. There are not one church, but there are seven churches. And then notice that it would be very easy to recognize that one person stood in the midst of this circle. That's why I love seeing this particular map, because it allows me to take a look at not only the circle, but to see the image that is there beginning in verse thirteen. And notice what it says And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with the Now, once again, this shows not only the holiness of the Lord, but the carefulness of the Lord. And gird about the paths with a golden girdle. In other words, everything that you see is not only royalty but you see him in his godliness. You're seeing this total godly information that you're seeing here. His head and his hairs were white as wool. In other words, white does not signify age. You know, what was funny, growing up, my brother Greg was uh, always that blonde-haired bomber, if you will. You you probably remember this, don't you, Janice? You know, here I had dark hair that started to come in, and and, at one time, all of us were pretty much toe-head kids. But Greg had the whitest of all the hair, always has had white hair. And uh, then when I got older, my hair turned dark, my beard turned dark, and everything. And of course, now it's turned gray. At least it's not turned loose. And the reality is is that when you take a look at it, you see all the images that are there. But here's the sad part. How many times have we seen movies? uh, I remember many years ago, they had a movie that came out called Oh God, or something like that. And George Burns played God. And they showed him as a kindly old man. Later on, we had, like Bruce Almighty, we also had Evan Almighty, and they now have Morgan Freeman, a little bit aged, but not old by any stretch of the imagination, and he is the the place of God. Understand this. God is ancient, but God is not old. I want you to get that. God is ancient. He is called the Ancient of Days, but don't look at him and think that you're going to see some kindly old man. That gives, a, here's the thing, I notice in myself, I'm probably a little bit more at ease to not just bring into question, but also to kind of uh, mellow out. You know, someone asked one time this question, they said, well, what do you do with a misbehaving grandchild? And, and the answer was, well, there's no such thing as a misbehaving grandchild. And you know, the misbehaving grandchild come bounce up and down on beds and grandma will say, now, you want me to get my grandma paddle after you? No, grandma, well, you better stop bouncing up on the bed. And then uh, we see this and say that. In fact, let me just tell you, my mom was always neat as a pen. You probably remember that, Jessica. And she had she had this beautiful carpet in the living room. Well, I'm pretty long-legged. And, and whenever she would vacuum, she wanted everything immaculate. Well, one day... I saw this and I went, so when she wasn't looking, I held on to the door and I got my leg out and I went as far as I possibly could, which was way out in the middle, put my foot down and was able to pull myself back. And she walked by and I I, I knew she'd have to blame somebody, but she didn't miss a beat. She said, Michael, come here. Yes, mom. Why did you put your foot out there? You know, of all my brothers, she chose me to be the one because, you know, there was that, that period. Later on, when my kids were born, you know, we, they'd rough house on that carpet. She goes, now, boys, you shouldn't be doing that. There would have never been that growing up. I, I would have been beaten all the way back to the living room. All right. Reality is is that age does not define our God. Age is something that defer, refers to the existence of our God, the period of time that He's been there. Notice what else we have um, in verse 15 again. And His feet were fine brass, and they burn in a furnace. And His voice is the sound of many waters. And he had in His right hand seven stars, and out of the sword and out of His mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And His countenance was as the sun that shineth in His strength. And I when I saw him I fell down at his feet and he laid his right hand upon, upon, upon me uh, um, excuse me upon me saying fear not I am the first and the last now here's the thing how do I know that this is the Lord God later on we're going to find that John fell down at his feet at, at the feet of another kinsman probably Daniel and he said see thou not do it I'm just like you you know to paraphrase it. This is the Lord God. He does not refute or He does not rebuke John for worshiping Him. He says, "It's all right, John. You don't have to be afraid. I'm going to take care of you." Look at verse 18. "I am He that liveth and was dead." There's only one person who is alive. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. Behold, I am alive and, dead, and have the keys of hell and death. So, in the Lord's own response, He goes, "I I descended into the lower parts of the earth. I came forth victorious. Write these things down, which thou hast seen, which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest, my right hand." And the seven golden candlesticks, these are the seven stars, are the angels of the seven churches. Now I want to stop there just for a moment. One of the things that and, and I just heard this recently, and I, you know, and to my chagrin, I know that I have also made this statement in the past. I said that surely, you know, as I am a messenger of the Lord, and yes, I am the pastor of this church. And as the pastor of this church, that means I'm called an angel. And I have now come to this place in my mind that, no, I'm not. So, again, I want you to understand this. The word angel in itself is euanglion. Or, or, excuse me, I mean, euanglion is gospel. It's um, weon or weanglion, which means weon means that it is angel. I am not an angel. I'm not like Gabriel, and I have to study to be able to engage this. But instead, do you realize that there's an angel over every one of the churches? There is an angel that has the oversight of this church. Now, the reality is is that the angel is not here to punish, but the angel is to impart the wisdom that God gives. I don't know how many times that I can refer to that. For me to have any kind of knowledge, I've got to get back into the Word of God, and I've got to study it. So once again, I want you to see what the Word is. Notice again it says, And the mystery of the seven stars, which is solace in my right hand, the, uh, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are seven angels. So we have a multitude of angels that are with us. Now, I had a a drawing that um, I picked up at a homeschool convention many, many years ago. And I wonder how many of us would really be alarmed at how many angels are here today. Now, think about this. It says that when we open the Word of God, angels are looking over our shoulders. They're looking into the Word with us because they want to know what the Word of God says. We have it at liberty to be able to read the Word of God, and yet angels are around us. But not only that, how many of us know that angels are doing everything for us to prevent us from being hindered? Now think about that for a moment. In this painting that someone had given me, in this drawing, hear the preacher standing up here, and he's doing everything to preach the Word of God to make it clear, and yet as he's preaching it, all the are going. How many of us have ever been distracted because of a baby that cries out? Isn't it interesting that you could be just as focused on the Word of God, and the baby cries out, and now... Your attention is turned off from the preaching of the Word of God, and you're paying attention to what the baby says.
1: I'll give you another example. How
0: many of us have ever had a cell phone right in the middle of a sermon, and the cell phone goes off? Everything that was once preached on now that cell phone takes all the attention away. That cell phone doesn't have that same activity when you're watching TV or you're listening to your your favorite uh, tele, uh, radio program. It doesn't have that same institution. So I am a firm believer that Satan is extremely busy. I'll give you an example. Many years ago, I was door knocking. And I, 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 whenever I go door knocking, I like to take someone with me. And I said to the person that was with me, and I don't remember who it was, I said, don't be surprised if we get right in the middle of a good conversation with someone, and suddenly we're going to be interrupted. And sure enough we went to this one house, you know, just random door knocking, we're telling them about Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And the next thing you know, here comes someone. And suddenly she goes, Oh I gotta take this. Let me see what my kids want. And she no sooner finished answering the kids and when she came back I said, The next thing is going to occur, your phone's gonna ring. And when she goes, and she started laughing and as we started talking the phone rang. And she said, how did you know? I said, and there's going to be someone that just has a random question out of the clear blue. And she went over to them, and they go, oh, can you give me that recipe that you were talking about? She said, that person never asks about recipes. When you start talking to someone about Jesus Christ, don't be surprised how much hindrance is going to occur around this. We ought to, when we say, Lord, hedge about us, you know, just as we read over in the book of Job, where, Job's, where Satan went up to God and said, well, how can I even approach Job? you got a hedge built around him. The same thing holds true. How can we possibly have the message if we're always being distracted? We have distracting demons, which are fallen angels all around us. And we also have ministering angels that are near us. The messenger is neither or not an angel, but notice what it says here. And it says, the seven uh, stars are the seven angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks, which thou sawest are the seven churches. I am a member of this church as well as the pastor of this church. And so for me to be the pastor of this church means that I have to overcome those things which would hinder me in my daily walk if I'm going to study and prepare and to be ready for this message that goes on. Once again, I want us to understand a little bit more about the scripture. Let's take one more verse, and then we're going to close for this morning. Let's go to the book of Hebrews, and let's go to chapter 2. And I want to show you the position Hebrews chapter 2. And notice the position of angels and why we have to be so careful of calling ministers angels. Look at verse 8. And and thou, thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For that he put all subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him but now we see not all the things which are under him but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels stop there just for a moment if I am an angel that means I'm above you all does God allow a minister (coughs) to be above anyone and the answer is no I'm a sinner just like everyone else. I have needs of forgiveness just like everyone else. And if I'm going to be a minister to this church, I have to be subject to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, For the suffering of the dead, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom all things, and by him uh, whom are all things, in bringing many sons into glory to make a captain of salvation perfect through sufferings. All right, we're going to leave from that point on, and Lord's willing, we'll pick up from here next week and continue with our studies. Father, again, thank you for your blessings. Now lead us and bless as we're dismissed from this place. In Jesus' name, amen. We're dismissed.